Hola, que tal? Hello from Mexico City. Welcome to the fourth episode of my podcast called My Mexican Mistakes. And today is Monday, June 10th. It is the fourth episode. I did three last week. I thought that might be too many in one week. Um, I'm sick of me. So I can't even imagine what the audience must be feeling. So I thought to whatever extent there is an audience. And by the way, thank you very much, those of you, uh, for your support and for liking it and for uh, having fun with it. And uh, I'm very grateful to you for keeping those stats up and enjoying it and letting me know how much you like it. Keep the comments coming because it really... Uh, keeps me motivated to keep doing this and to try to get better at it. So as I talked about last week, I call this podcast My Mexican Mistakes because I have been making and will continue to make plenty of mistakes here in Mexico City. I'm just starting my second week, um, but I did not make a mistake moving to Mexico City. That's not the mistake. The mistakes are the things I make day to day. Um, and uh, the podcast also talks a little bit about what like novellas are happening here in Mexico City. And of course, they're all very happening. All novellas are very happening. But um, I am particularly fond of these old novellas that they just, you know, repeat. Um, and they're so much fun. And I'll tell you about that in a few minutes. And then I also like to discuss on the podcast uh, the third portion of it is how I got here, why I left my job and my home and my family and friends, not to sound so melodramatic, but I left it all behind me to move to Mexico City. And how did that happen? How did I go from a gang prosecutor in Chicago to um, a new resident of Mexico City watching novellas? Uh, and so I like to talk a little bit about that. And that's because I was sucked in by some of the greatest novellas known to mankind. I got sucked in, and here I am. It's like gigantic hands reaching from my TV. Like, I, I think I've said this before. It's just like the ring, but not as dangerous. Um, and I fell in love with telenovelas, and they have led me here to Mexico City. But why don't I, I get started with uh, some of my mistakes? Because there's plenty, and I'm just going to give you the tip of the iceberg. I actually had two mistakes I wanted to tell you about, um, I, both of which are sort of funny. One is that I still don't really understand the way the money system works, um, and that's because I'd have to understand percentages, I think, and fractions to understand it, and multiplication, and I'm not good at any of those things, and if I was good at any of them, I could have been a doctor. Um, so I'm having a hard time figuring out what to tip, how much to tip, and what's a good tip, and what's a bad tip, and I don't want to leave a bad tip. Um, but things are not very expensive, and so the tip then seems like really small. So I'm kind of confused. But the other day, um, I was at a, a cafe, and I had a coffee, and I don't know what, and the bill was 150 pesos, which I have no idea how much that is, but it seemed reasonable for what I had. 
um, because what I had was delicious, because everything here is delicious. I have not had one thing where I was like, oh, I didn't like this, or eh, that was kind of dull. No, everything here is delicious. You can't go wrong. Just let me tell you that. Um, the only way you can go wrong is that like, your clothes won't fit after a few weeks. Um, that's the only way you can go wrong, which I'd put that in the mistake column, I suppose. Um, but if you walk a lot, you know, it all works out in the end. Um, anyway, so the bill was 150 pesos. And I paid the bill, and then I wanted to give the waitress a tip. And the tip I gave her was 200 pesos, which prompted her to look at me in shock and then say, hasta luego, like, come back soon. And maybe she meant come back for dinner um, because I, my tip was more than the bill. Um, but that's because I'm still learning this, you know, crazy system. Um, so I'll learn it, but that was one of my mistakes. Another mistake I made was, and you may or may not have seen the picture uh, I put up on Facebook and Instagram of the most sad, dead, deader than dead, the deadest, the most dead, terminally dead, um, never coming back, hydrangeas uh, you've ever seen. I put the picture up on Facebook and Instagram. It might not have, they might not have even looked like hydra hydrangeas, but that's because they were super dead, not just dead, ultra dead, super dead, dead to the max, dead to the seventh power. Um, how did that happen? I don't know, because let me tell you something. On Sunday, I went to the Parque de Mexico, which I love the Parque de Mexico. It's this beautiful, fantastic park near my hotel. There are, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just uh, fountains and uh, uh, statues and, and sayings and uh, beautiful little benches. And it's just the perfect place. And it's, you know, there's always people walking their dogs. But on Sundays, the place is loaded with families and dogs families walking dogs, dogs walking families, and I believe in certain cases, dogs walking dogs. I have never seen so many dogs in my life as the dogs at Parque de Mexico on a Sunday. I had walked over there, and on my way there, right in front of the park, I uh, saw these two men with a truck, and they had like hundreds of pots of flowers, hydrangeas mostly, but beautiful flowers. Now, I never had plants in my place in Chicago. Never. In fact, I was proud I didn't even have a plant. It made my move a lot easier because it was even less responsibility than I would have had if I had a plant. But anyway, um, so I saw these like beautiful flowering hydrangeas and uh, in these pots, and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to be a better person in Mexico. I'm going to assume some responsibility. I'm going to buy a hydrangea and put it in my room. And I bought one. And I took it back with me when I left the park. And if I bought that plant at noon on Sunday by 5 o'clock, that plant was a very dead plant. I took that picture on Sunday and saved it for you, saved it for the podcast. I bought it at noon. 
it was dead by five. I don't know how that happened. That doesn't even seem normal. I don't know why I'm even saying it's a mistake because I don't, not sure it's a mistake on my part, except the only mistake I made was in trying to be a more responsible person and buy a plant. That's what happened. Um, so that's another mistake. But today, and I thought, oh, those would be the mistakes I would talk about. But no, something happened today that was even better. Um, I was out and about and I, uh, it was like a, a shopping mall. I had run in to pick something up, and it was this beautiful, luxurious mall called the Mall of Iron. I'm not sure what is appealing about a Mall of Iron, um, I, but I think iron is very popular in Mexico because there was a novella called The Prosecutor of Iron, and in the ads, she was like painted in gold, like Goldfinger, but Gold Prosecutor. Um, the ads were really cool, and she was the prosecutor of iron. And then in a novella, when there's a policeman who comes to town who's incorruptible, he is the policeman of iron. Um, and so iron is really super popular. I'm not sure how it fits with a shopping mall, though, because it's not like a shopping mall is subject to corruption or cowardice. It's just a shopping mall. And iron doesn't really seem to be the thing you'd be going for, um, you know, at the SD Lauder counter. But in any event, it's called the Mall of Iron, and I just needed something, and I'd run in there, and uh, and then I wanted to uh, run down to the restroom. And I, they sent me down these stairs, and when I got to the bottom of the stairs, I could see there was a sign for a a, a bathroom, but I didn't, it was like, it, it didn't say men and it didn't say women. It was just a door that opened up into a, like a lovely bathroom with a series of closed stalls. Um, not, not stalls, like almost like individual little bathrooms within this big room. But I didn't know if this was the men's or the women's. And the, there, was a, there was a woman there who worked there and she pointed me into that room kind of like how Robert De Niro would point uh, Lorraine Bracco to go buy those sweaters in Goodfellas, like he sent her down the block to the really scary store, and then she realized he was probably going to have her killed. Um, if you remember that scene, he keeps pointing down the block, and she's like, where? I don't see it. And he's like, down there, down there. And then she knew instinctively, well, also because she was married to a mob hitman, that um, she was probably going to be killed if she went to that sweater store. So that was sort of how, in a, for one moment, I felt with this woman directing me into this bathroom. But I walked into the room, and I thought what she said was that the first three like stalls were for women, and the last two were for men. And I looked at the doors of these stalls, and the first three in fact, had a huge M, like M as in Mary, a gigantic M on the first three doors, and then H's on the last two. Well, when I saw the M's on the first three doors, I was thinking M is for men. So I turned to her and I said, this is the men's room. And she said, no, it is not the men's room. These are for women. But we were having this conversation in Spanish, and of course, Spanish is not my strong suit. 
So then, like I see some man come in, and then some woman comes in, and I really didn't know what move to make, but I thought, you know, I felt very much like Lorraine Bracco and Goodfellas that maybe something really bad is going to happen um, because I didn't understand the bathroom system. And then I realized M was not for men uh, because men is not a Spanish word and we're in Mexico. It's M is for mujeres, women. So when I realized my mistake, I burst out laughing. I apologized to her explained to her I didn't really speak Spanish very well, which I think she sort of figured out for herself based upon my insane behavior, um, refusing to go into the bathroom. Um, and then uh, I, you know, went into the bathroom and uh, it was fine. But it was weird because everybody like washes up at the same sink, which I saw once in Manhattan. And I'll be honest, not my favorite thing, um, but it was fine. It was, you know, she, bathroom was 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 a lovely bathroom. And that's enough bathroom talk for one day. But that was my biggest mistake, was that I was panicking thinking she was throwing me into the men's room, or if it was a scene from Goodfellas, she was sending me off to be killed. Um, So that all worked out okay. Because that's the thing with my Mexican mistakes. They can be really bad, but it all works out okay in the end. Um, So that happened. Now, I, what I would like to spend a little bit of time talking about is what's happening here in Mexico. Not like politically or anything, because, you know, I can't tell anybody what's happening politically anywhere. Um, but I just want to tell you what I've been up to a little bit. And yesterday, I went to Roma with a friend of mine. And Roma is the neighborhood right next to Condesa. I'm staying in La Condesa, and Roma is the next neighborhood over. But to say it's the next neighborhood over, it's like every neighborhood is as big as Chicago. So it's it's you know it's not like next door. You know, um, it's there. It's big. Mexico City is huge. There's like 25 million people here. So it's like you know 15 Chicago's in one. Or something like that. I don't know because math, as you know, is not my strong suit either. But anyway, but a friend of mine took me to Roma. And if you saw the movie Roma, um, you know, I felt like I was in the movie. It was all very familiar to me because that movie was filmed in Roma. And there we were. Um, And there's another movie that I love, Man on Fire. And you may be familiar with that. It's a few years old. Denzel Washington, Dakota Fanning, little girl gets kidnapped. Mark Anthony plays her dad. Um, And that movie was filmed in La Condesa, um, entirely in La Condesa. And um, as a side note, uh, you know, people saw Denzel Washington all the time hanging out in Condesa. Of course, he's gone by now. But anyway, um, so I felt like I was in the movie Roma yesterday And I have been feeling like I'm in the movie Man on Fire uh, because I'm in Condesa. Now, I'll be honest, between the two, I'd rather feel like I'm in Roma because really nothing bad happens, um, nothing scary happens. Whereas in Man on Fire, you know, there's a lot of things happen in that movie and none of them are good. Um, And so that's not really the movie I want to... uh, be a part of here in, in Condesa. But it is kind of cool to be around um, and you know recognize some of the, the buildings and the sites from where they made that movie. 
Um, and if you saw Roma, um, maybe you have the same question I have, which is, why did that family have a dog? Because all they ever did was keep the dog on the patio. And all that ever happened was that the dog um, relieved himself on the patio. And then, you know, the maids had to clean up the dog's mess, which if you have a dog, you have to do that. But usually if you have a dog, you're also getting some pleasure out of the dog. And so, you know, yes, you're cleaning up after your dog, but you're having a good time with the dog. In this movie, the dog was always on the patio. So I, I could not understand why they had a dog in that movie. And if anybody can tell me why, I'd be really grateful. Okay, so I would definitely recommend when you come to Mexico City, go to Roma so you can feel like you're in the movie Roma. Um, now, I want to switch topics if I can and uh, talk a little bit more about how I got here from Chicago to Mexico City. And I had never been to Mexico before, I would like to point out. Um, I, as I have talked, pre, as I, oh, I can't even talk tonight. As I have told you uh, previously, I started watching La Patrona. And I think when I last left off, I was telling you that Alejandra, I'm sorry, Antonia, Antonia Guerra was like the pretender to the La Patrona throne because she had not only stolen the gold mine from the Suarez family, but she had also killed a lot of her husbands to get control of that gold mine. And Gabby Suarez was the person who really, by rights, should have been La Patrona. But when, the, when it all kicks off, Antonia is much more, like if you saw Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada, that's Antonia, except I don't think Meryl Streep had bras with jewels on them, um, whereas Antonia did. And Antonia hates Gabby because her, both of her sons are madly in love with Gabby, even though in the first half of the show, Gabby does not have good bangs. She has like those really bad bangs that you just want to say to the person, do something about those bangs. Um, grow them out or cut, get rid of them altogether. But she, they were just bad. And you knew that if she could make that bang change, her whole life would change. Well, here's what happens. Antonia wants to get rid of Gabby because Antonia wants Gabby's son, David, because that's Antonia's grandson, because her son, Fernando, as I told you last week, had raped Gabby when they were teenagers, but he wore a mask, so Gabby never knew that the father of her child uh, was Fernando, the weak and worthless Fernando. He redeemed himself at the very end, but he was a drunk who locked his wife in the barn when he got tired of her. And I'm not kidding. This is why I fell so in love with these novellas, because novellas, because they had a ranch, and periodically, when he believed his wife was getting out of hand, and she was always out of hand, she was the mayor's daughter, and she was so unpleasant and also a drunk, he would just lock her up in the barn. And, you know, it, it, I thought, well, I guess if you have a barn, you're putting it to good use, um, because you really needed to get rid of her. Anyway, so Fernando was a drunk, and he was in love with Gabby, but his older brother, or younger brother, Alejandro, was smooth, handsome, um, still lived at home with his mom, even though he was like 37. 
Um, and, uh, but he was not a drunk and much more in control of himself and smarter. Uh, Fernando was like the Fredo Corleone of La Patrona. You know, uh, remember Fredo? I'm not stupid. I'm not stupid. Um, Fernando was, he wasn't really stupid so much as he was just weak and worthless. And, you know, he did rape Gabby when they were teenagers. Um, so you knew he was going to die. And he does die spectacularly when his mother blows up the mine and he tries to rescue Gabby's dad, El Tigre, who his mother was torturing in the mine. Not personally, of course. She has people to do the torturing. And in this case, it was the police chief, Legarto. Um, and they were torturing El Tigre. And then at a certain point, Antonia blew up the mine. And she knew when she blew up that mine, she was not only going to be killing Tigre and a lot of the people who worked for her in the mine, which seemed kind of counterintuitive, but she was also going to be killing her own son. But again, it didn't really seem to bother her too much because she put her money on Alejandro, her other son, um, and also she had her eye on her grandson, that uh, she was the only one who knew that was a grandson because bear in mind, Gabby did not know at that point that the father of her child was Fernando, but Antonia had a suspicion. So I, I think she got another... Yes, that's right. She got another child in the school. Um, that's right. Another child to like cut a lock of David's hair. And I think that the little boy who uh, she persuaded uh, to do that, or paid to do that, really, um, his dad worked for Antonia at the mine, so she co-opted the son, even though he was like nine, and um, sent him off to cut a lock of David's hair, and then she sent the hair to a lab and got the DNA results. I don't even think people get DNA from hair anymore, and I know that I use DNA in my own cases, but I really have no idea where it comes from. Um, but in novellas, there's always like a lock of hair, and then they can send it off to a lab. And the funny thing is that the labs in the telenovelas usually get the job done much faster than the um, state uh, crime labs, but that's because in the novellas, the labs are not underfunded, um, and uh, also they're completely made up. So they do get the results pretty quickly because it's as fast as the writers can make them up. Um, so once Antonia, once it was confirmed that David was her son, or grandson rather, she then set off to get rid of Gabby because then she could kill like 72 birds with one stone. She could get rid of Tigre and his claim to the mine. She could get rid of Gabby so that her son Alejandro would not still be in love with her. She could also get rid of Gabby so that she could get her hands on David once it came out that she was the grandmother. Um, and I would like to point out Antonia didn't look like anybody's grandmother or mother because nobody's grandmother that I knew wore cold shoulder tops, bras with jewels on them, which, yes, I am obsessed with her bras with the jewels on them. It's, if that's what you're thinking, I totally admit it. Um, because until you have seen, like, yellow bras with like topaz jewels sewn into them, you haven't lived. Um, and, uh, and also thigh high like boots and a lot of leather. I mean, there is nobody's grandmother who looks like this, but in La Patrona she did. 
Um, but I think she didn't like to be called Abuela. I don't remember. Um, but anyway, so Antonia blew up the mine, killing a lot of the people, and then framed Gabby for it, and then hired uh, a like forensic psychiatrist, Dr. Gertrudis, who was like the creature from the Black Lagoon, if the creature from the Black Lagoon was pasty-faced and had kind of a scary hairdo and was a very scary... It was a woman scarier than the creature from the Black Lagoon. I can never explain Gertrudis to you. I can never do her justice. Um, but she ran the Asylum for the Criminally Insane, which is one of my favorite places in the telenovela, the Asylum for the Criminally Insane. The tiny, teeny tiny town of San Pedro del Oro in La Patrona had an asylum for the criminally insane. There were more people living in the asylum for the criminally insane than living in the teeny tiny town of San Pedro del Oro. And you have to ask yourself, if you're the mayor of San Pedro del Oro and half of your population is locked up in the asylum for the criminally insane, you might have a problem in that town. Um, but Gertrudis ran that facility, and she testified at the trial that, uh, that Gabi Suarez was insane, and it helped uh, her testimony that Antonia somehow was secretly drugging Gabi, so she was acting really kind of crazy. It is very easy in telenovelas for people to get their hands on potions. Another reason why life in a telenovela is pretty darn good because if there's a problem that you need to fix and that problem can be fixed with a potion, there's a potion in that novella you can get your hands on. And so Antonia was secretly drugging. She was pretending to be nice to Gabby, but she was secretly drugging her. And uh, she was and framed her for the murder of her own father, for Antonia's son, Fernando. I mean, it was horrible. And then stacked the courtroom with people who would yell things out when Gabby testified, like, liar, guilty. It's mentirosa is liar, and culpable, culpable is guilty. And I always felt that, you know, if I could have a cheering section in my trials, I would have a much better chance of winning them. Um, I think a cheering section is, you know, something we should encourage in the American court system. Um, it's, it's a long, it's, it's time has come, and it would be uh, really a help to, to anyone on trial. So Gertrudis testifies that, Gab that Gabby did it, and I'm not really quite sure how she was able to testify to that, but she did, and that Gabby was crazy. And, of course, the whole town could see Gabby was crazy because she was being drugged, um, but they didn't know that part. And Gertrudis took Gabby into the asylum for the criminally insane, where the real torture began. Um, in the meantime, Alejandro um, was seduced by Gabi's frenemy, Irene, who was the daughter of the town's mayor and the sister of Fernando's wife that used to get locked up in the barn. But then Antonia had one of her henchmen kill her daughter-in-law because she got out of line. And that was the thing with Antonia. She ran a very tight ship in that town. Um, you know, it was not a democracy. Uh, and so she had also, you know, one of the many people she killed was her daughter-in-law. 
and so then the daughter-in-law's sister was Irene, and she, Antonia liked Irene because Irene was like a mini La Patrona, like a mini-me to La Patrona. And um, in fact, when there was a town like beauty pageant or something, Antonia saw to it that Irene won. And I'm not kidding you, Irene wore a giant crown and um, walked through the town with La Patrona. And I, I just the image of Irene in this dusty, small little town walking through the town with like this gigantic, like Queen of England crown jewels crown on her head was, you know, just another fantastic image that I'm so glad I watched La Patrona. Um, but anyway, so Antonia had Irene seduce Alejandro. Um, and then Irene got pregnant, and then Alejandro had to marry Irene. But, you know, it kind of worked out because the love of his life, Gabby, was, you know, in the asylum for the criminally insane. And she was going to be spending the rest of her life in jail because she had been convicted of killing, like, 72 people, um, including her own father. So, you know, from Alejandro's point of view, he might as well marry Irene because Gabby wasn't going anywhere. And uh, Gabby was like pretty close to catatonic in that asylum for the criminally insane. And I'll tell you more about that in the next episode. Um, but in any event, uh, as you can see, these shows are captivating. Um, and uh, if you have a chance to see La Patrona somewhere, either on Hulu, I think it's on Hulu, uh, or I don't think it's on Netflix anymore, but I'm pretty sure it's on Hulu. Um, you definitely, you know, people say, oh, do you like Jane the Virgin? It's so good. I'm not saying Jane the Virgin isn't good, but watch a real novella. Watch La Patrona. It's so much fun. Um, so I'm still watching Mi Pecado in here in Mexico City, and it's still like it, there's so much torture, not torture of like La Patrona where they tortured El Tigre and hung him, you know, from his fingernails in the mine and whipped him and threw acid on his, you know, cuts and everything. It's not that kind of torture. It's like an emotional torture in Mi Picado. But the best part is that when people are like either torturing themselves with awful memories or somebody is torturing them with awful memories, it goes in super slow motion. So the torture goes on and on. And I, there is a woman in this show. It's the mom who put the gun to the boyfriend's head, put the gun under her own jaw, um, you know, still didn't kill herself, broke down sobbing. She's still crying. I mean, I have never seen a scene with this woman where she is not crying. It, it's amazing. We're going on like a week now of her crying. So they must have had like a lot of room in their budget for Kleenex and stuff like that because I'm not kidding you, these tears do not stop. But there's another novella that I'm also getting a peek at. And again, it's an older novella. It's called a Volver a l'Amour, I think, Return to Love. Um, it's got the great Rebecca Jones. It is, a, it is a terrific cast. But there was a scene the other night that even like blew me away, and I've seen some great scenes. In this scene, I can't tell you who the people are or what the problem was, but there's three people in the scene. 
There's the husband, the wife, and the husband's mother. Okay? The husband and the wife are probably in their like late 30s, early 40s, and the mother, you know, is a few years older. Um, anyway, the husband has a shotgun pointed at his wife. And he's yelling at her, accusing her of infidelity and treachery. And, and she's like standing there um, because it's not like anybody really moves that quickly when somebody points a gun at them, which I have explained. And so as he's calling her all these names and pointing the gun at her and saying he's going to kill her, she's just standing there and like shaking her head like, oh, I can't believe I married this guy. He's such an idiot. And his mother is standing next to him begging him not to shoot the wife because she's not worth going to prison for. But it doesn't occur to his mother or his wife to pick up a phone and call 911. The wife is kind of rolling her eyes. The mother is begging her son not to do it. And he clearly believes his wife has cheated on him because he's almost in tears, screaming at her. Anyway, he's screaming at her. He's calling her all these names. He calls her, I can't remember what. I mean, I don't even know if I understood it, but I could tell it was like a huge insult because the wife, when she heard that, she had enough and she slapped him really hard, even though he was holding a shotgun on her. Now, that sort of spurred him into action. Like he pumped the shotgun because... I guess he realized, well, if she's going to slap me while I'm holding this gun, I might as well just kill her. At which point his mother, who realizes he may now be spurred into action because she slapped him, she puts her hands over her ears because the noise is going to be just really loud from the shotgun and she doesn't want to hurt her hearing. So she puts her hands over her ears and again begs her son not to kill the wife because the wife is a Zora, which is just like a horrible woman um, and uh, very, you know, low and loose. And I don't know, I, as far as I could tell, it is not good to be a Zora. It's not like being Zoro, okay? Being a Zora is like, is just awful. Anyway, so the mother is screaming at him with her hands over her ears, please don't do it, please don't do it. And his wife just walks away from him as he's pointing the gun, you know, at her and insisting he's going to shoot her. But of course, you know he's not, and she knew he wasn't. And you can see he's weak. And that might be because when he's got a gun, his mother just stands next to him and begs him not to shoot. Anyway, he collapses in a heap on the floor. And then his mother like just hugs him. And then the wife walks out of the house. And Nobody really thinks of, let me get the shotgun away from this lunatic. Let me call the police. No. In the next scene, he is sitting at the kitchen table. The shotgun is in his lap, and he's eating something that looked really good that his mother made for him. Like, if, you know, I was having a bad day when I was living at home or going to see my mom, she would make like spaghetti with butter and cheese, like that kind of comfort food. He was eating some kind of a comfort food, still had the shotgun in the lap, and um, the wife was gone, and he was crying. And then at a certain point, as you could have predicted, he then says he's going to kill himself, but, you know, he doesn't. But again, the mother just kind of stands there and begs him not to, 
But once again, nobody is asking law enforcement to, to intervene at all. So to the extent that there are police officers in novellas, they don't have a lot to do um, because most people are just handling their own business themselves. Um, so I, there, there's another novella that I've been watching a little bit here, and it's Amar Sin Lay, which I think means to love without law. Um, and it's a show about lawyers. And it, first of all, if there was a law firm where these kind of hijinks went on, there'd be a lot more people applying to law school. Um, but not only that, there was like a big trial, and the lawyer didn't have to wear a tie. Um, and you should have seen the getup that his female partner wore. It was like, am I going to the club or am I going to the Daily Center? If lawyers actually dress like that, I think more things would get done in the courts because people would be happy to be there because it would kind of be like being at the club. Like, if you could smoke in court, drink in court, and dress like the lawyers dress in telenovelas, I think the legal system would run far more efficiently. Why? Because people would be happy to be in court and they would get the job done um, instead of always looking to leave court to go have fun somewhere else. Um, okay. I guess that's it, because this podcast is probably once again too long. Um, but thank you for listening. Um, more to come from Mexico City. More to come on, the no on my mistakes, on the novellas here, and how I got myself here, and how this all happened. Um, and again, the podcast is, as you know, My Mexican Mistakes. It's on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts like a few others. I'm waiting, of course, for it to get on Apple because that's like the granddaddy of them all. But um, it's not on Apple yet. Anyway, I hope you'll continue to listen. I hope you'll tell your friends, share the link, uh, and uh, share a few laughs. And uh, it, all I can tell you is if you come to Mexico City, you will be odd and inspired and I shouldn't say odd, I guess awestruck and inspired. And um, it's, there's, there's just something to see everywhere. But the sidewalks are in terrible condition, I guess, from the earthquake. They're still very cracked and uneven. So even though there's a lot to see, you have to look down or you could, you know, break your neck. Um, anyway, I love it here. I can't get enough of the city. And I hope that you will continue to join me on my journey. Thank you. Good night. Adios. And as we say, nos vemos pronto, which means I'll see you soon. Ciao.